Hello, and welcome to Hero with a Thousand Potions, a gaming podcast where two 30-something gamers examine the storytelling and gameplay of popular and niche RPGs. It's like a book club with talent trees. This is Season 1, and we are talking about Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, released on the Nintendo Switch in 2020. My name is Tyler, and I am joined by my friend, Nate. We invite you to join us on this adventure by playing Xenoblade alongside these episodes, in which we will scrutinize and appreciate Xenoblade chapter by chapter. This episode... We are getting into chapter one. Getting into the next scene, I believe we are at Colony 9, right? Mm-hmm. And we are now playing as uh, Dolk. And he is a lab technician for uh, researching uh, ancient artifacts. I I don't... There, there's a certain vagueness to it, but not in any way that's obfuscating or that you're confused, you know? It's pretty straightforward. And so he actually has the Monado in his lab. And um, yeah. there's also several, uh, like, it looks like ancient technology littered around the area. Um, and then it seems like Colony 9 has some sort of, um, it's got a very vertical uh, structure to it, even though people the people don't live vertically. There's a lot of uh, components that uh, look like these giant, uh, things arcing into the sky which uh i don't know if that those were built by people or just utilized by people and they were always part of the machine on which they sit uh that is not completely clear at the that, moment that's so. a good question yeah is is are the are the structures that the colony are built on or is it man-made or could it be from another technology another titan <laughs> there's a lot of another is and we've, we've mm-hmm. hardly scratched the surface here. Um, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned about the verticalness of Colony 9 because that becomes very apparent as you walk in from the field in which you start taking control of Shulk. Going into Colony 9, it looks like we're in the, but the bottom of this enormous red rock ravine. And there's mm-hmm. a lake at the bottom. And then there are pillars upon which um, the city... Um, lives and then there are other other structures pointing up at the sky um, as well and if you look up into the sky box you can see that that this these rock cliffs stretch quite a ways up and at certain parts of colony nine i could see even more rock rising up from atop that and that was when i felt um the way you described maybe 20 minutes ago about how okay now i kind of do feel like maybe i could be living on a on a on the back of a giant you know um where most of these towns (laughs) maybe i'm just inundated in in starter villages that are very flat and rolling grassy right um but this Mm -hmm. one and it certainly has grass but but i do feel like i could be uh that the entire first town and and greater quest hub area could be a how do i describe like a like from inside like the leg or or the shin or an outcropping of a titan's extremity and I'm, and when mm-hmm. i look up i could be looking all the way up it's <laughs> it's thigh or or something like that um so yeah i i definitely um felt a sense of place that was very original uh for me maybe mm-hmm. maybe you don't play enough triple a games but um but colony nine did feel very very original to me yeah and i don't again uh, both of us in the, having not played the original edition of xenoblade um i can't speak to how well these presentation qualities came off uh in the first pass of the game mm-hmm. but for me everything is very crisp and beautiful and it creates like this serene feeling um you know and the enemies do not have like a, a an aggro to them starting out here so you're, you're not threatened by anything um you're kind of free to explore as you see fit um and so there is definitely um uh, a lot of uh, oh, this is where I might dip into my Kingdom Hearts uh, analogy again, uh, but uh, the, they start you out with this really good kind of slice of life feeling of you're just kind of 
you're on a maybe a patrol or a little trip of your own. You've got your buddy Rain with you or Ryan. I um I think it's Ryan, pronounced Ryan. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you do get into combat with something, they kind of introduce slight um I I would say MMO uh mechanics that were at this point kind of seeping their way into standard RPGs or um. I don't know what started it, but um, I think, to my recollection, I'm sure anyone out there who's played every game ever would be able to correct me on this, but um, to my recollection, when Final Fantasy XI transitioned into, they were making Final Fantasy XII, that came with uh, the stipulation of the Final Fantasy series now had more traditional, like, tank healer mechanics to them in some degrees whereas back in the day you might have a priest and a knight but they didn't necessarily take all the damage and do all the healing there would be tertiary ways to you know potions and different things and or in the case of like final fantasy 6 and 7 anyone can choose to be a healer or throw a heal at some point so where whereas previous games you know as we got away from kind of or i should say an attempt to not have the rpg genre stagnate previous games kind of took up the model of anyone can do everything this game seems to be dialing a little bit more into each character has their role you know Mm -hmm. and so um you kind of have signature abilities you have uh you know a a character that looks like more of a heavy fighter of he's going to be the one taking the damage um shulk eventually gets a a heal spell of uh that can help out with that because she he shouldn't be the one getting hit you know so it seems like to me just even getting start and running around in some of these first battles i'm getting introduced to more of traditional rpg mechanics than the kind of freeform things that i kind of came about the late 90s early 2000s and so that's i might be a little bit more in the camp of enjoying that where people have set roles than just the kind of free-for-all uh rpg style so that's pretty satisfying for me to see uh, and it, it kind of it, it gives me a, a sense of like groundedness right away playing the game we meet shulk and he's with ryan and we are scrapping some junk in a field yeah and and i'm forgetting what it is that's drawing us back home i think we've we found something interesting i think it's machine parts that like there was a a monster inside of the machine part and uh that that machine part they were saying was going to make good armor for soldiers back home sure okay okay so we cross the field into into sector nine proper and there's a little colony nine colony nine all sector nine (laughs) like it like it's midger yes (laughs) i'm I'm probably gonna do that one or two more times that's fine and and it's a and it's a little overwhelming at first because sector oh my goodness colony nine is a big place and uh there are there are quest givers all over and we're introduced to a an affinity system oh my goodness there's a day and night system too and Mm -hmm. and these systems are like play into each other differently for example different um different npcs and different creatures are active at day or night and things like that now you can adjust day or night on on a whim from the menu uh, from the game menu there um but but it's interesting that you're kind of playing this yeah, kind of playing it like an MMO where we're talking to people and they've got, um, they have quests they want to give. And some of them are, are fetch quests. Some of them are kill a monster quests. Some of them are kill or gain drops from creatures that you kill. Some of them are elite monster uh, kills. And I've died quite a bit to them thinking I can. <laughs> take I, did, I tried. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Too. I've died so much in chapter one. I've died so much. And some of them were in kind of spectacular well i'll get into that when we're there um and oh and there's a kind of a a barter system that oh yeah have as well where you there's an option to kind of check a let's say some npcs have their own little little shop and you you access their shop but they don't want money uh they they 
they will trade you something for another item of 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 a particular value that they find valuable themselves yeah. and um and at some sometimes like i've been i haven't explored all of i haven't picked up all the drops at this point and i've i've traded what were probably really nice things for things that i just kind of pick up off the ground a little bit later um go, hey i think i need that for that quest anyways we right so i so i assume maybe you did too but kind of went around and and uh gathered up some quests before i marched over to the military base slash shulk laboratory section what, what did you do once you got into colony nine <laughs> to be deliberate when i say this now yeah. colony nine proper nate uh i am a completionist so i grab every quest and i try and do as much as i possibly can until it becomes apparent like oh hey this game does have party members and i'm just one guy i probably can't kill this thing by myself mm -hmm. but i did absolutely everything i could try to do i upgraded my gear to the most expensive stuff shulk could wear and then i started doing more quests until you know it was pretty much those elite ones were the only ones he couldn't do but mm -hmm. um I, I went through several day night cycles just kind of doing everything i could do before going to the main objective because that's kind of my play style for all games like this um and uh i'll, I'll say kind of just a, a short little tangent here of I got into that town, and again, I was having yet another flash of Kingdom Hearts uh, feelings. And the reason for that is, I looked it up, uh, a good portion of this game's music is done by Yoko Shimomura. And uh, she all the way, she goes all the way back to doing Street Fighter 2's music, but she uh, was uh, lead composer for the Kingdom Hearts series. And so she's very good at these um, very serene, calm, uh, inviting little, uh, I, don't, I don't know whether to call it a jingle or like a melody that just makes you feel right at home being in that town. And... Uh, all of those elements of just kind of doing slice of life tasks, helping out small people or whatever, it really reminded me of the first segment of Kingdom Hearts 2, which gave me a, a little bit of a premonition. I, I, even if I didn't know I was skipping ahead here, I'll say that um, it gave me the feeling that I did want to do everything I could here before I progressed the story because just like kingdom hearts 2 the ship might hit the fan at some point here and i don't know if i'm gonna have the ability to revisit some of these um it was just a weird feeling i had because there's there's a similar experience in that game where all of that uh kind of uh comfort they offer you at the start while you're learning the the simpler systems of the game they kind of tear away from you at the end of that opening segment so um, so I, was, I felt very compelled to set right everything I could in town before going to the lab. Cool. Uh, I did a lot of quests, but not all of them. And I haven't bought, even, like I played all the way to, to chapter two, I haven't purchased a single equipment item for any of my party mm -hmm. members yet. Um, I've gotten some drops and they're, they're marginally better. I'm sure there are better ones in the shop. I've certainly looked at the shop and thought, mm, I think I want to save my pennies. Um, but uh, one thing that dropped for me pretty quickly on, and tell me if this is the case for you, but I got a really good um, weapon for Ryan for, right mm. away. Like it was... I... I don't know. I don't think that happened for me. Oh, it was noticeable. Like I, I, I looked it up. You know, I, I, you can do the the stack comparison, and it is one and a half, mm. is one and a half to twice as strong attack damage power as his default mm. weapon, and, I, and that's quite a bit. And I thought, yeah. well, I don't know if the, I don't know if that was a rare drop or what, but he's got, he ended up with something pretty serious right away, which was yeah, neat. And I. I did some investigation with what you could trade to people and everything. I didn't really get to everyone, but there's some hidden gems there, too. If you go talk to some of the soldiers or, like, uh, kind of on the far end of town where they're stationed, I think one of them had a piece of gear that was pretty expensive, and it's, like, they value some of those monster parts that, like, mean nothing to me pretty highly. So yeah. I've, you know, I played around with that a little bit to kind of upgrade and see what I could do. Um but yeah, I don't know. Maybe um, 
that's something where you told me about your Final Fantasy Tactics run where you, you can't really buy gear. You either have to steal it or... Um, well, I, I forget what that was, but essentially it's it sounded like a more organic gameplay-focused way of acquiring things instead yeah. of just having currency and then spending that currency. Um, I go back and forth on that because, you know, there's there's probably some Xenoblade challenges out there we could revisit sometime to, like, make it a little bit more... Um, you're spending your time more out in the world than you are in menus in towns in order to make your character stronger. And I, I might value that more because I got a significant power spike from just going to the shop and spending all my money, you know? So there are more than just Homs in, in (laughs) colony nine. I have a note here that choo choo is back. (laughs) Choo choo is back. I have, uh, I have a note here. Oh my goodness! My first affinity system relationship is a Clefairy wearing a purple cabbage leaf. <laughs> that is true as well. Yes. Um, I don't know. I, I assume when you first, it doesn't. It probably didn't have to be the first that particular NPC, but the first NPC you could have a uh, reputation system. Um, yes. Mine happened to be with the little choo-choo pokemon <laughs> character yes um and i thought that was amusing and definitely worth writing down yeah i think my first person i got affinity with was a um some sort of young woman working at like a fruit stand or something i don't i'd have to go back and look sure sure um did you have any anything noteworthy or exciting or or a, or a memorable moment when you were doing any of that questing um for me it's just uh this is another little bit of a tangent here but as far as would i make a game today that has just you know chocked full of side quests i think the this era of moving on from the traditional jrpg um i think the best thing about these side quests is that they hide the grind so to speak so you're never just like you're never in this place where you feel like i want to be level 10 so i can do this or i want to be level 15 so i can do that Mm -hmm. um the what what it does is you go get all those quests and you're just going to be level 10 you're just going to you're going to get to a place where you feel strong enough to do what you want to do through doing activities. So there's a balance of do does the giant quest long in and of itself become a grind where if they they make too many, you know, um, and but it's different than the feeling of like running around in circles on a world map, you know, um, recently replaying through final fantasy eight in the last couple of years with the HD edition that released of that, there was definitely segments where I'm just running in a circle on a map because my GFs need AP, you know? And it's like this game, I like that. That seems like it's not going to be the case. I'm going to have everything I need through doing the side activities. And uh, it makes me wonder how the game's tuned for somebody who skips all of that. But for me, I was enjoying essentially having it be a no-grind game. I always knew where I was going and what I was doing. Um, Now, as far as the side quests themselves, if they're of any value to me, um, the affinity system, I'll have to see how that plays out if there's rewarding moments that come from that because um, this was definitely a, a staple of the MMOs where it's like we can just chalk this game th- full of content by slapping a tag on a mob we have out in the world and then having a small little text box that explains why you're killing that mob, right? Mm-hmm. And it's very simplistic. It's easy for a programmer to make dozens of these and have the game have quote-unquote content but kind of after playing you know these types of games for 20 years or 15 20 years um you know when i play a game like the recent god of war kind of reboot game that game has side quests where each and every one of them kind of has a a a moment where it enriches your characters or it teaches you something about the world that actually matters. Kill his own father over some treasure? It seems so greedy. Remember what I told you, boy. Assume nothing. Well, sure. He didn't seem like a great father, but... You only know half the story. So, 
I'm stuck in a place of like I like the system, but I also don't know that I'm getting anything of real like hard value out of that. Uh, like three to four hours, I think you and I both spent kind of catching up on all that stuff. Maybe you know there's a little bit of obtuseness there where we probably could do all of it in about an hour or two. But you know we were running around figuring the game out and everything. So yeah, yeah, a little um, testing. So it, it kind of begs the question of, you know, like in games where you create your character, like if I make a paladin, there's value in doing the quests because I get to say, you know, the paladin did this because he wants the the town to be a better place for all. Whereas my rogue might do it for the cash, you know, mm -hmm. or my warlock might do it for a powerful trinket that they get or something. Whereas Shulk, for example, he is not my character, and he has a very clearly defined character that the game is telling me who he is. So for him not to help the townspeople in need seems like I would be missing on his character. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be choosing to just be an asshole for that hour and a half because he's going to get into a cutscene ten minutes after that where he's a kind and caring and loving guy. So uh, it, it really is kind of, for me, the experience of, you know, when you're playing the game and doing these side quests, you have to take on the role of, like, immersing yourself in the character instead of really asking yourself, why am I doing this, you know? Um, and luckily for me, I am a completionist, so it works. But... Um, that's kind of my observation on just chalking the game full of uh especially the quests where somebody asks you like hey can you run this uh fruit cake across town and give it to this guy and it's like this town is not that big lady i think you can do it i believe in you you know <laughs> but but anyway so that's kind of uh that's more so a commentary of all all games you know i like to see a little bit more intentionality um when i'm any type of content i do i want to like when they give me moments of feeling like uh satisfaction of like this is why i'm here mm -hmm. i like i like that so that's something i'm hoping where maybe the affinity system pays off a little bit more maybe i get to know some of these people after engaging in their lives several times so we'll see yeah th th that'll be helpful i'm also getting the sneaking suspicion that th that each of our quest hubs, we're going to be inundated with quests, and they're going to be kill two of this of and eat and kill two of. How do I put it? We'll we're, we'll always see a quest where we're going to kill two of any enemy around it, and and pick mm -hmm. up a lot of you know this little glowing thing on the ground, and and three of these little glowing things on the ground, and and they'll reward us, reward us with experience but it doesn't right now my vibe is that it's not going to be very uh enriching uh, to to the world but but i'm looking forward to being corrected on that i'm looking forward to seeing what what the community affinity system is going to pay off uh for us um but right now it seems like a lot of work to i mean i i like a clean quest log i don't i don't want this this the burden the emotional burden of of <laughs> of the fruit of the fruitcake lady expecting uh her fruitcake to be you know run across town i i would i would like to keep a clean <laughs> quest log but it's it's um but there's a lots of quests and 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 npcs have multiple quests and they have yeah. lots and and once you turn one in uh, they have a follow-up uh, quest sometimes too and so um, i guess i'm gonna have to get used to being uh, uh, useful to to the townspeople uh, as i go but anyways that's kind of been my vibe here well funny thing that happened to me while i was questing was um so i'm in the water swimming around firstly i didn't firstly i didn't know you could jump until i discovered you could jump and then i didn't know you could swim until i accidentally discovered you could swim and so mm -hmm. now i'm swimming and i'm kind of like oh i wonder what's going what's over at this shore here and i'm and i'm um left triggering i think it is to kind of get get sights on these enemies that i'm seeing and they're like level 72 level 73 and i'm like level five six seven and as I'm seeing this, I'm going, oh no, oh no. So I stop, I don't pause my game. I stop to take a note. And while I'm taking the note, a 
a dialogue box appears on my screen to introduce me to the concept of elite monsters and i'm going oh, oh. that can't be good <laughs> and i go i go oh that can't be good and and an elite level 72 73 fish monster hit me for 3600 damage oh and, god and i turned into a shaft of light i went to, back to the nearest uh, <laughs> monument or whatever uh did the game suggest easy mode to you at that point not at that point but but they would eventually they did suggest it once and i declined because mm. i'm a man's man i'm a man's yes. rpger and i can take i can take the hits i play a moba and i, I can i can take I, I can be okay with being bad for a little while and yeah yeah uh, th th that's an interesting uh, mechanic too that you can just kind of play for the story if you chose to yeah and, and again i don't know if that's a new thing or if that was in the original mm. you know because that's that's kind of a modern thing a lot of the final fantasy re-releases have like a just you know be god mode <laughs> so that you can just go through the cutscenes essentially mm -hmm. and I particularly, I'm not interested in that. It's I don't I don't know how to explain it, but it's like part of understanding these characters is experiencing some of their adversity. So if you're just kind of killing everything in one hit, it loses a little bit of the satisfaction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I know what you mean. Uh, one other, th uh, you kind of brought up that people have multiple quests. Um, it also seems like there's a limitation of the system of having quests with multiple objectives because you'll run into somebody where they will give you back to back to back kill quests for monsters and it's like in my head i would think why don't you just make one quest that is to kill three of this three of that three of the other thing but it seems like there's some sort of limitation where a quest like the way it's set up in their database it can only have one objective which is hmm. kill this thing twice you know um and a lot of those quests it's interesting too because it's like oh these things have become a danger to our our area go kill two of them and it's like i can look out there right now and see 20 of them how is two gonna help you know and so it's a little bit of an a bit too much of an extract abstraction for me of like this isn't actually clearing the area it's just kind of a, a video gamey chore you know sure yeah. and I, I like games where they have a little bit more progression i i'm immediately like I think of the game Okami, where you run around. I don't know if you've ever played it. I, I um, haven't downloaded it on Switch, but I haven't played very much of it. Yeah, well, when, when you do stuff in that game, uh, places that you've achieved goals stay transformed and stay uh, changed for the better permanently. Um, and so you get that satisfaction of like, yes, not only have I done every quest in the area, but look at my surroundings. This place looks great, you know? So... Again, that's because I think this game comes off of the back of MMOs where you can't really remove an enemy source completely off the map because somebody might need the, you know, mm -hmm. beaks that they drop or the feathers or whatever it is, you know. They might need them till the end of time for some reason. Um, and so you can't really get rid of everything, but I wish we could see a little bit more of that of like, yeah, this place is a mess. Let's Let's fix it up. Let's get some of these monsters out of here, you know. So, again, you're kind of having to suspend your disbelief that what you're doing actually matters, even though visually it doesn't. I like the teleportation system. Mm, I yeah. like how you unlock a piece of a map by, by arriving at its centerpiece feature. It could be a town square. It could be... Uh, military plaza it could be um make out point at the top of the hill <laughs> yes um, or something like that and you can teleport to it for free whenever you like mm -hmm. and i think that's pretty neat i like how, yeah i like how fast travels pretty pretty dang fast yes very convenient um and, and it allows them to make more expansive maps because they don't have to take in the consideration of how much of a pain in the ass is this quests and then we find out about a uh mechanical armor that has crashed from lack of uh wouldn't you know it ether um there's a, a lack of ether energy to get the thing started up and uh i think that's the next if real event that gets us kind of on the road if i remember correctly 
how does it go exactly? I remember the first time we enter the military district, we we meet this Waluigi-looking guy. Yeah, Waluigi! <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's, and he's a, let's say, a captain in the Colony 9 militia. I don't know precisely, and I'm forgetting his name, but he looks exactly like Waluigi, and he's berating these troops, or his fellow militiamen, about that machine but my biggest takeaway from that little cutscene was his ex his exaggerated arm movements he's he's shaking his fists at the sky and pumping them down into his chest area and 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 it's like he's doing jumping jacks with just with this but, but but with like just completely clenched fists and a snarl on his face and he's mm. chewing these folks out the first time we meet Fiora is she is actually in Dunban's house and she is helping him with, uh, she brought him, I want to say it's like soup or something. Uh, and, uh, he is in bed with a screwed up, uh, arm. And I remember hearing this takes place one year after the last time we saw Dunban with mm -hmm. the Monado in his hand. So he has got a, uh, you can see his right arm is scarred kind of all the way up. And so he's laying in bed and he needs assistance apparently um, to the point where uh, I, is she related to, let me look this up. It's their family. Yes. Dunban is her older brother. Dunban so, um, brother. yeah. Um, so Fiora, um, she is helping her brother because he apparently has a lasting uh, injury from the uh, use of the Monado. And so he says that, um, you know, he's he's grateful or whatever, but he's going to get back out there. He'll be just fine. He'll be recovered in no time. And then um, he, she is on her way to deliver some food to Shulk in his lab. So mm. I think that's the first time we meet her. Um, then... Um, and they kind of joke about either her food not being good or right. uh, or cold whenever whenever she gets around to delivering it to Shulk. Right. And he's like, but Shulk won't actually tell me that it's bad. He'll say it's great regardless. Whereas she values the fact that Dunban will just tell her the food is bad. So. I, yeah, I, I remember picking up on that too where Shulk has a hard time giving Fiora a candid opinion about something. Um, mm -hmm. It isn't just about the suit. Something else happens where he he has a he gives her like the correct answer, but not like his answer, like a mm -hmm. a, a personal answer. Um, and I remember that being amusing. I can't remember where that was exactly. I think it was when we noticed the well the 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 big cutscene in which there were there were flashbacks and funny things like that but i don't know if we're here if we're there just yet mm -hmm. maybe we are but i did i did go back and rewatch the the touch the monado cutscene, and i have a play-by-play -play okay of all of that oh about dunban oh my goodness yes so we, we kind of skipped on that dunban well he's here and so is dixon dixon but the gomer pile guy Mumkar. Mumkar, thank you. And Mumkar's got big claws. Dunban's got the sword. I forget what Dixon's weapon is, but I th I think there's a weird dichotomy of everyone still uses um like to fight the machines. A lot of people are using things that look mechanical in nature themselves. So right. Um, you know, uh, there's something weird going on there i don't know i don't know if bionis or the people of bionis like they have a lot of machinery in their life obviously shulk's lab is chocked full of machinery mm -hmm. do do they make the connection that it's like hey machines mechanis mechs killing us you I know sure like so. you know because that was kind of a theme of final fantasy 10 that uh you know machines kill us so we're not gonna you know the the church of yevon we don't have anything to do with machines uh machina is bad mm -hmm. so i, I kind of wonder you know do the people of 
uh, Colony 9 and of Bionis make that distinction of, like, if it isn't the, like, Victorian clockwork machines, it's fine, you know? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, I have that Dixon, Dixon uses a rifle. Oh, right. Or he did in so the, y- the cutscene. Could be a more, a, a less mechanical contraption because uh, rifles can be fairly simple. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, is there anything you want to touch on before we get to the touch the Monado scene? Um. Did you <laughs> have you played around with the gear appearance system at all? No. It's it's pretty what? interesting. I ended up just kind of clothing people in their default gear, but. When you equip gear, you can equip it, but you can also there's slots for um, yeah, just picking what your gear looks like aside from what you're actually wearing. Oh. And everybody everybody yeah. comes with a beach party outfit if that's your thing. I did not I did not notice that. I will <laughs> I should play with that next time I sit down with it. Stokes got swim trunks and uh, Crocs for shoes. Oh boy. Yep. It's pretty interesting. So okay, I'm sure. Fun little Fiora's, side side note. I'm sure yeah. Fiora's is very popular. Okay, so eventually we get three characters into Shulk's lab: Shulk, Ryan, and Fiora. Mm-hmm. And and while Shulk has his back turned, Ryan grabs the Monado out of its holding place. Oh, that looks pretty good. Yeah, I'll take some of that. Mm-hmm. Oh, roses. My wife just offered me some creme brulee. Post-production Tyler here. Although that creme brulee was delicious, you are going to hear the clinking of my spoon several times in the next several minutes. We'll be doing less of that in the future. Oh, nice. Yes, that's pretty nice. Uh, and he, gra- he grabs the Monado and it, I don't know if he bumps it. Or what? But it activates the the holographic device above the hilt flashes on, and and a and a another piece nearby kind of pops out like a like I don't know like a CD tray like disengages like something like like mm-hmm. opens in, around the around the hologram a rune or maybe it is a a kanji uh, bit uh, appears in the center and and a blue beam or maybe it was yellow beam of light comes out of the monado and the thing is taking him on a ride like a bucking bronco all around the the laboratory um ryan can't appears to be unable to let go of it it's flying all around it's just full of energy it's just burst with energy and and shulk and fiora are in awe and in and kind of in terror because this this weapon is out of control in this rather confined space um as it's thrashing around it, it slices through this console that poor shulk has and it also and this beam of light also passes through the leg of fiora although she's okay um when that happens the everything kind of calms down again the beam retracts it back into the sword and shulk is like what is going on here what why did you grab that and ryan kind of like scratches the back of his head and he says i don't know it looked kind of fun or (laughs) some sort of like awful dopey excuse well i think there's an undertone of with uh or maybe it's an overtone too uh, with specific mention i can't remember but i got the feeling that because dunban is out of commission ryan is kind of taking on the role of he wa- he wants to be the hero that if something were to ever happen oh. to the colony or an attack of some kind i get the impression that ryan feels compelled to take up that role i'm the tough guy you know i'm the guardian he in combat he takes on the role of the guardian while shulk pokes away at the enemy um i i get the feeling that uh, Again, maybe there wasn't an overt dialogue about it, or maybe it's a subtext I'm picking up on. But I, I get the feeling that he's he kind of sees 
he doesn't believe that Dunban's just going to recover and come back and wield the Monado like good old times, and that someone else is going to need to step up to do that, and he thinks he's that guy. Mm-hmm. I, I I did not get that vibe, but I can understand that. Maybe that maybe that was why he grabbed it. But the sword isn't exactly choosing him mm-hmm. because uh, what happens next is Shulk seizes the Monado from Ryan. And as he's speaking with him, he bangs the hilt against the back of a console, and the thing activates again, but this time, something very different happens. Look at you! What? Without the Monado. Until I've scrapped each and every one of you! So, of course, I want to get my revenge! Your blade, it did not cut deep enough. No! A, uh, Shulk's eyes <laughs> flash with a, like, a ball of light that, like, explodes out of his eyes, and then we're treated to a series of hypercut. Um, shots of people and things and Mm -hmm. some of which are speaking and I have them written down in order and I'm going to try to get through it real quick here. Flash, an old bearded man with glowing eyes leans in. Flash, a lady sniper in a teacup hat lowers a sniper rifle uh, (laughs) over her face. Flash, an evil looking man in in face paint and a hood staring down. Flash, (laughs) Giancarlo Esposito uh, with a gray goatee stares upwards flash a young woman in a naboo queen hairpiece closes her eyes flash uh, a druid elder in a feather headdress and a hooked nose leans in shulk screams as the as a huge as the huge mecca from the prologue scene this is the one that um that assaulted uh dunben uh draws an arm back uh to to slash at the screen and then there are four and then okay oh, and those are all the flashes and then there are four lines spoken over the course of it one of them says look look at him worthless with the monado another person says until i scrapped each and every one of you i think that was the lady sniper third one of course i want to get my revenge and the fourth one your blade it did not cut deep enough and i think that was coming from the mechon Following that, Shulk stops having his eyes flash with light, and he goes, (laughs) I thought this was a bit of comedy. He goes, Shulk goes, Ryan, did you see anything when you grabbed the sword? And he has a very pedestrian answer he goes yeah the a blue you know a blue beam of light came out the end of it you know something that everybody (laughs) saw in that room (laughs) he didn't get the the profound you know like uh expositional assault (laughs) that yeah that uh, that shocked it i was i had to laugh because he just had this very sweet and honest answer that was just completely wrong yeah and i think that's clearly drawing for the if he had just said no you know we would uh we'd be wondering okay did shulk experience memories was he so- shown something by the sword was this you know but i think that kind of clarification shows that um ryan interacting with the sword does nothing shulk interacting with the sword gave him the visions um and so that means that uh, it's a the sword kind of talking to shulk you know, if that makes sense, mm. instead of just instead of just maybe like the the I don't know what you'd say like the trauma or heightened uh, anxiety of that event kind of triggering something in Shulk, I think it's a direct kind of communication is implied, um, and that's why they went to the lengths of asking him, "Hey, did you see anything?" or you know whatever, and he you know had. He could have just, like you said, just said no, but I think that's what they're trying to draw is that the sword is the one showing those things as Shulk. Um, If I were to take a guess, I would say maybe these are past users of 
Monado or Monado-like powers that have imprinted some sort of memories or heightened moments onto the sword, and that there's a specific... You know, uh, we've dealt with this in other Xeno games, but essentially there's special people who have capabilities of doing things that regular people are not capable of. So maybe Shulk has some... We're not aware of it yet, but Shulk has some sort of gift to be able to use this item or heritage or whatever. Um, And that these other people we're seeing are also people who have used or interacted with the Monado and share that same legacy. Now, I could be totally wrong about that. That's just what I'm personally taking from that scene. Because there's not a much there's not much information to glean from the individual snippets. We haven't seen these places. We haven't seen these people. There aren't any real dots to connect. Mm-hmm. So I I think they're kind of its purpose is to show that maybe Shulk isn't just some random guy and he has a a he's a piece of something bigger. Oh yeah, right. Child of destiny, maybe. Yep but we don't know yet there's there's a lot we don't know i guess there's 17 chapters in this game and and we're just part way through one yeah right after that we put the monado back and we kind of bookmark that we don't investigate it any further mm-hmm. and then we're sent on this errand to help me remember here acquire some ether energy power cells power cells and they are at the back end of a nearby cave and fiora is coming with yes well she wasn't initially it was just uh she meets us at the cave to right. kind of say, you know, hey, I don't know. If, did we forget something? And then she had to give it to us. And she's like, look at you guys. You're pathetic. You you forgot something already. I guess I have to come with. Something um, like that. But we're gathering these power cells because of that. Um, essentially, that mech suit that crashed into a, a residence building and then was out of power. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was just doing a train, training exercise. There wasn't any fall play, so to speak, or anything like that. But um, uh, it's crashing in the building, doesn't have the energy to get up. So uh, we need to have somebody go fetch these uh, uh, ether cells. Um, and um, I think the implication is that ether power or ether cells are not something that just regular humans with their you know little steampunk village or labs or whatever are capable of harvesting or um collecting on their own mm-hmm. um you know whether it's explicitly stated at the end of this cave dungeon or it's stated at the beginning I think there's an implication that this is a technology that we don't fully understand or have the capability of reproducing, but we know how to use it. We know how to make machines that can interact with it. So mm-hmm. ether, uh, we're kind of familiar with that and what that means, but I'm going to guess it's something a little different in the Blade series than the uh, Saga or uh, Gears series. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Right, well, on our way in the cave, we we haven't talked very much about the, the animals or the, and the creatures we fought. There are armadillo types, there are bat types, but the one that I laugh about is the rabbit with the fist in its tail. Oh, yep. Yeah. That's and pretty... a big chunk of wood. <laughs> yeah, sometimes they've got clubs. And like, oh my goodness. That's, uh, that's a scary... I mean, for an innocent animal, I mean, you know, in, in a typical RPG, you might fight slimes and goblins and these more rudimentary, you know, reductive sort of creatures. And, but for a reduct, for a starter creature to fight a rabbit with a clubbed fist in, in its tail is pretty pretty fascinating. And then and then they and then of course they've got the they're they're wielding weapons, and so you have like. I won't call them evolutions, but uh, but uh, um, leveled up variations of that creature um, are are interesting. This thing has has a 
weapon that it can swing at me now. And and looking at that from a distance, I had I really did have to stop and go, oh my gosh, that looks kind of that looks like that could be a tough fight from a from an immersive storytelling like a, a perspective there. I thought that was pretty neat. They're there in the cave too. There are other creatures in the cave I'm not immediately remembering. The cave wasn't uh, exceptionally long. I don't remember. Um, there's there's an elite in there or, or two. Yeah, did you have to... Uh, the cave had like a side path that you have to take in order to dodge a giant um, threatening monster. Yes, did you have to? Yeah. I did have to. I... I had got my teeth kicked in enough times mm -hmm. to decide I did not want to take that fight in that moment. Yes. I thought it was interesting that it's a, like you said, it's a very short dungeon. I'm not sure if later we'll get some longer ones. Maybe it's just an, a short introductory one. Um, but one observation is that if this game originally came out in 2009, 2010, somewhere around there, um, that was right around the time that people were complaining about Final Fantasy and RPGs in general getting too linear, you know? Um, so we'll have to see. This one has a couple little branching paths and, um, you know, curves to go around. But again, this one is also feels pretty linear and straightforward to me. And it's been a while, you know, if you were playing games in this area, era, it would have been a while at least JRPGs, since you've experienced a true dungeon with just like rooms and floors and paths and different things that just, you know, you, you get lost or you have to consult the map on several occasions. This is definitely an era where you're running down a long hallway, getting into a measured, controlled amount of fights, and then, you know, having a cutscene kind of thrown in the middle at various points. Um, this one was very easy for me because now we have enemies that will attack you on site. Uh, there's a couple out in the field that I found before, but for the most part, everything was passive. Mm -hmm. um, but in here, things will attack you on site. But um, with my completionism, I was like probably way higher level than I needed to be and over geared and everything was pretty easy to take care of. Um all the way through um and there was even some quest objectives in there and i think a, a an elite quest like a, a named monster or whatever you want to call it mm -hmm. um that basically i died just by clicking the attack buttons <laughs> uh, that were available to me in the moment without any real need for strategy because my tank was still had the majority of his health and yeah, I, I'm, I don't think I'm quite as geared as you were, but I found it pretty, pretty easy as well. Um, when I'm when I'm fighting, I, I try to issue the heal spell as early as possible, as usefully and early as possible, because I'm mm -hmm. getting a sense. Some in some fights, I'm going to need it again, and so I want to, you know, use it as much as I can. And so I, I am feeling some, some tension uh about uh, my tank's health uh in that regards but for the most part it's been a pretty pretty simple tank and spank i like that there are the that some of the abilities are effective from the side or the back and and those sort of nuances and then there's like a trinity ability there uh where once everyone's kind of limit bars sort of add up not not, not precisely in the same way as final fantasy 7 is and then there's mm -hmm. also a a three-part stun chain formula where one person uh, issues a I think it's called a topple effect and then uh, another person has a follow-up effect that is only effective for the window of time in which they are quote toppled and then the third person and then third person implements a third ability on top of the second one and all together you'll do I assume you'll do like a, a big hunk of damage or I think they get properly stunned um or their armor is reduced to some degree. I guess I have to go back and find out exactly. Um, but I have been paying it. To, <laughs> I don't sound like it, but I I do look out for those little little uh, progress bars to 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 issue those other abilities. Um, but those have been those have been my fights. Anyways, uh, at the end of the cave, we arrive at an outcropping. 
uh, that kind of looks over Sector 9, and we find those... Colony 9. Shoot. <laughs> and we find those, <laughs> uh, those ether uh, power cells. Uh, Nate, what happens next? You are, it looks like a security system of some kind, or... Um... I, we it wasn't a hundred percent clear to me, or maybe I missed the specific dialogue. But we are attacked by a boss battle of, um, kind of looks like a like a mechanical eyeball with like a, a little bit of an apparatus around them, capable mm-hmm. of floating in the air. Um, I killed them so fast that I'm not sure if they had any uh, greater <laughs> mechanics to be aware of or avoid because they pretty much died. Like, I'd say a minute max, you know, I'd have to look. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so we have our first little taste of a boss battle. And I, if I remember correctly, they kind of give you the, uh, they tell you to use your team tactics, pull up the little window of, you know, focus here or do what you like or, you know, whatever. Right. Um, what you were saying about some of those abilities that chain into each other, it's like, I don't, Maybe I'm missing something. I don't see a specific opportunity to command people to use their ability when you need them to. Unless I'm missing it because the orders wheel is just generic. It's like, hey, focus this target that I'm focusing on. Mm -hmm. It's like, so unless I'm missing an ability to switch to other people, I feel like I've pressed every button. But uh, anyway uh yeah so i'm curious on if there's a better way to make that happen or if i'm just missing them chaining into the rest of the abilities because i'm playing a shulk and he's got the first on the stack so i i might need need to look into that a little bit more i think ryan has the first uh, and the the stacking that i've noticed is uh when when Ryan initiates it, a little, it, it's pretty small and easy to miss. A little progress bar starts loading um, above the enemy target's health bar. It's like up and to the left. Mm. And, it, and it, I think it is easy to miss. And as it's loading, that's when I initiate Shulk's follow-up abil- ability. And whether Fiora follows up on hers... I'm not paying attention because I very much like you said, although I'm not as geared as you, I'm spanking these guys pretty easily. Um, they were yeah. they were not a challenging boss fight. I don't remember any particular abilities. Um, it was really just uh, allocating resources and focus firing, and eventually they cleaned up pretty pretty fast. Yeah. So we do get our um, ether uh, power cells. I think they do make some comment of that the facility you're currently standing on at the end of this cave on the top of this mountain is not a creation of the Homs or at least to their um, more recent history to where they're aware of. Mm -hmm. Um, This predates them. So if we dial back to what I said at the beginning of our chat about the sword in the ground giving me the feeling of a... a, uh, more of an ancient technology than a modern day, you know, the greatest minds have developed that sword. Uh, I, I'm getting confirmation of that same feeling I had at the beginning with the fact that Shulk's saying, we don't even understand how this facility works. It just does. And mm-hmm. we come up in here to get the material. So uh, to, if we're going to do chapter one and get into chapter two, is this where we cut off? <laughs> after this event hey that's not a bad idea i think that would play very fluidly into it's not out of it's not out of desire to stop but i'm curious because i don't actually know when i switched to chapter two i just realized at one point i saved the game i'm like oh shit i'm in chapter two Uh i think so after i think it was a deliberate cliffhanger okay uh, one thing, one quick thing I think we glossed over that I will mention that we touched on but didn't resolve is uh, there is a section where we're hanging out with Fiora. Uh, there's a little, uh, if you visit locations with certain people, you can have a nice little chat with them. So yes. uh, utilizing that, there is a scene where there's debris falling off of the top of 
Bionis's body, and because you're deep, deep in this valley between all the mountains and cliffs and everything, the debris falling is going to fall on your vi village. So the uh, the previous towers we were talking about end up lighting up and shooting down this debris, saving the people below. So we now know what those towers do mm -hmm. in this instance. Whether I still haven't gotten an answer on whether those are HOM-made towers or if they predate them as a piece or function of the uh, Bionis himself. Because if you remember back to Xenogears, there's a lot of stuff that... Um, at face value comes off as one thing and then later you find out oh this was originally a piece of something else like uh for example the bart's giant ship um for him that's like his whole family's legacy that's the the secret that they're they've been hiding their whole life but mm -hmm. in the intro video there are dozens and dozens of those little like ufo ships on the eldritch oh, so sure. yeah the, the you know Casper. yeah so these these components that we're seeing in colony nine for the people there their whole lives revolve around maintaining and upkeeping this thing but this could be like one of thousands of facilities or you know or at least nine <laughs> you know sure. um that perform this function of kind of uh protecting the surface of this body but we don't know if if the people there built it or if it was part of the body naturally so that's mm. uh interesting to figure out yeah or to look forward to i should say i feel the same i'm looking forward to getting to chapter two yeah i have dabbled a little bit but like i said it's because i didn't even realize that uh i i had switched so cool. uh it's fine with but that. yeah Anything else from your side that stuck I'll, out? Yeah, I'll, I'll say one more thing. Um, the There are relationship-based cutscenes with very deliberate locations in Colony 9 that you can have mm. with your party members, and I'm really, really bad at them. Mm. I, oh, right, yeah. I assume the game wants me to use my context clues and, and paying attention to the story to to know what the correct answers are because they, they prompt you with these. They're like, oh, do, uh, Shulk, do, do, you remember when I raced up here? It was, uh, wh wh why did I do that again? And it's like a romantic answer and a, and another answer and maybe there's a third one and I always pick wrong. And I don't know mm. if, uh, part of me says, well, hey, I'm, I'm maybe I'm part of the story too, and I can I can help explain the story. But no, there is a correct answer, and yeah, uh, and and it's consequential too. It's not just we don't just gloss over it. Your your relationship meter might slide in the wrong direction if you misremember an important moment with a with a with a special friend there, and and I've done that a lot, and I think I've only been part of two relationship based cutscenes. Uh, and one between Fiora and another between Ryan and uh, and those are interesting and I'm looking forward to seeing how them playing out and I plan on getting better at them because I want my relationships to slide in the right direction. Yes, definitely. I uh, I got them all right, so um, <laughs> I I don't consider myself a natural at stuff like that. I'm actually terrible at them in uh, Fire Emblem uh -huh. for Switch, but um, I happen to get these ones right just by kind of like a process of elimination of like which one could or couldn't be true and which one absolutely would kind of have to be true. I can't remember the exact details, but I remember sitting there and thinking for a while. But what I did not know, like you said, starting off that conversation, I did not know of whether am I trying to remember actual facts as determined by the game or am I retroactively deciding what my history is mm. as a external player, you know? you know like if i no matter which one i choose does history just change to make me right or am i actually going to say something and she's going to say hey dumbass that's not how it happened you know so <laughs> i didn't get a com confirmation in my using of those because i kept getting them right 
So your account of things has helped me realize that I'm. it is the case of there is an objective truth and I'm not retroactively deciding what happened via my answers yep. as the player. They will correct you. Like, Sounds good. <laughs> what would you fucking ask me for? <laughs> if you knew the answer. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I guess that's uh, not an appropriate answer either. That's that's it's the delivery of as you know dialogue. Oh, of yes, they yes. they they already know their history, but the player wasn't there. So we got to find a way to, without a flashback or an additional cutscene. You know, we've already got this environment here, and we've got voice actors. So let's just go for it. You know, mm-hmm. um, the the coffee house or no, what's the um, the cafe scene? I like to call it where two characters are sitting in a cafe and they recount the events. They just happened outside an hour ago, mm-hmm. but because those events would require a budget of filming various scenes and crazy things happening, it's a lot cheaper to just film them talking about it in a cafe. Uh, that's something that video games love to do because it's like, well, we can't create that whole environment. So let's just have people talk about something. Um, that's uh i hope i hope the affinity system delves into that a little bit more too because i would love to learn some details about townspeople characters as well instead of just that they need pies delivered to them That concludes our exploration of Xenoblade Chronicles Chapter 1. Join us next time for Chapter 2, where the relative peace for Shulk, Ryan, and Fiora, and the people and choo-choos of Colony 9 is suddenly broken. If you are playing Xenoblade along with us, we invite you to finish Chapter 2 before crushing that next episode. This has been a production of Hero with a Thousand Potions, recorded on Monday, January 3rd, 2022. If email isn't as old a technology as the Zohar engine, you can email us at herowith1000potions at gmail.com. That's 1000 potions. Other socials are forthcoming, but expect to find us on Discord, Twitter, and similar. We are Nathan Tyler, and this is a gnarly guitar solo. Yeah!